This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debate. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Jason Workmaster from Miller Chevalier. We're going to Take a look at the bid protest report, some interesting bid protest cases, and a look forward at what we can expect from a a regulatory perspective in the coming months. Uh, Jason, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you, Roger. Always glad to be here. Okay. Well, first thing I wanted to get um, your take on, um, you know, from the, from a lawyer's perspective, I I, I did talk to, uh, uh, Jason Miller on a show about the bid protest report back, uh, you know, three or four weeks ago. But, um, but it's always good to talk, you know, go straight to the horse's mouth, so to speak, right? So, um, you know, last uh, fall, GAO came out with its uh, bid protest report for fiscal year twenty twenty one, and you know, Jason, I guess, what are some of the highlights from your perspective? Well, you know, I think the most significant highlight out of this most recent report is the uh, uh, continuing decrease in the total number of protests filed. You know, so that is actually a material change. If you look at 2021, fiscal year 2021, uh, there were just under 1,900 bid protests filed. That is down 12% from 2020 when there were uh, over 2,100 filed. And just as recently as fiscal year 2018, we were over 2,600 bid protests being filed a year at, uh, at GAO. So just over the last, what is that, three years, we have had, you know, almost, you know, uh, over a 700 year, 700 per year decrease uh, 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 since 2018. So, you know, and, you know, over, you know, over 10% decrease just year over year from 2020 to, to 2021. I think that's, that's interesting to me. I mean, if you look at the other statistics, so first you know, of all, let's go. let's let's talk about that a little bit more. Sure. So, you know what what you know, I could I can remember a few years ago, and even I guess during the eight hundred nine panel, you know, a lot of people talking about, oh, there's way too many protests, and we're being inundated with protests again. And that period, that's cyclical. That come, I mean, every ten years or so, yeah. we yeah. have that conversation. Yeah. So we've seen this, as you know, a 700 protest decrease in protests, you know, a little bit less than a third, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, over two or three years. See, do you have a sense of what, why that is, or, or have any idea? Is it the pandemic? Is it? I don't, I don't think it's the, pan- I don't think it's the pandemic. I mean, it's, it's, you know, cause if you look at, it's not like there's been, uh, I haven't gone back to check the statistics on total spend, but I don't think there certainly hasn't spend been. Spend has increased, right? Yeah, there right, certainly right. hasn't been a drop, <laughs> you know, that would account for uh, account for it at that level. So, I, you know, I, I think there's been, this is just kind of, you know, a, a lot of this is anecdotal, Roger, but just from, own, my, you know, my own personal experience in my practice, I, I think there's an increasing reluctance to protest, you know, it, 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 for whatever reason that is. Uh, there's just more concern about, um, 
you know, suing your, this is, and look, this is a perennial concern. I mean, nobody ever wants to sue their customer, you know, for as long as I've been doing this, there's always that conversation. Well, do you know, sure. yes, mm-hmm. you know, do you, do you really, is it worth, is it worth it? And, you know, and, and again, I also, in, in, in my experience over these last couple of years, uh, there's just been a, a real, um, I think there's been a real thoughtfulness as well. And, you know, maybe this is patting the contracting community on community on the back a bit, but there's been a real thoughtfulness of, you know, uh, you know, it is a big deal to see your customer. And, uh, you know, there's been an increasing kind of, I think, thought given to how real, how, how good are these grounds really? What is our, what it really is our likelihood of success with these? Because it's what's interesting at the macro level uh, Roger, I mean, there hasn't been any kind of significant change in, you know, the, the, the effectiveness rate or this is, you know, we're right. The sustain rate at GAO has remained, uh, as at 15%, there's no change in 2021 versus 2020 on the, the percentage of sustains and the, the effectiveness rate. And for listeners who aren't familiar with that, you know, the effective sustain rate when GAO reports a sustain rate, that is, uh, how many pro, you know, percentage of protests were sustained that went all the way to a decision, you know, and if you've ever been involved in the protest process, you know, that a lot of protests don't go all the way to decision. They get resolved earlier on in the process, you know, many times through the agency taking voluntary corrective action. So, you know, when, when I see these statistics, I normally first, I'm most interested in the effectiveness rate, which is did the protester get some relief, whether, it went to a final decision from GAO or the agency took some kind of corrective action and that's at 48%. So, you know, and, and, and that's only down a little bit from fiscal year 2020 when it was 51%. But if you go back to 2019, it was 44 fiscal year 2018, it was 44%. So, you know, the, the, the effectiveness rate has been relatively static uh, without a lot of change. And so, you know, it'd be tough to say that that, prote- that uh, folks aren't protesting because they just don't think GAO is sustaining as many protests. I mean, it, that doesn't appear to be the case. GAO is sustaining right about at the same rate uh, it always has. And it's, you know, the uh, protests are effective right at about the same rate as they always have, as they have been for as long as we've seen statistics. So, you know, it's, 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 an, it, you know, it's, it's an interest, you know, uh, again, I, I, I can only attribute it to, uh, again, anecdotally, just an increased reluctance to sue the customer um, over this last, over this last year. And maybe the pandemic influenced that a bit. Maybe it was, maybe it did, you know. If, yeah, I, I can imagine if we started, you know, stratifying and by dollar volume, right, the higher it goes up, the more likely a protest is going to take place. That's yeah. that fair to say. I, I think so. I tell you though. I mean, again, anecdotally, I had one that I felt you know this is a big dollar value. I'm sure there's going to be a, a protest, you know, and and ultimately uh, nobody protested. You know, and it was it was you know looking from the outside looking in, you would have said, oh, well, this you know this is definitely one where there's going to and and there wasn't. So um, yeah, I think a lot of times over the entire course of my career, that has definitely been the case. So, Roger, I mean, the bigger the dollar value, right? Yeah, I mean, there's just especially when you have a situation where you have an incumbent, you know, where you have a big dollar value procurement, the incumbent loses, or the uh, that yeah, that's that normally guaranteed, guaranteed. That's, protest, that's, right? that's normally a guaranteed protest. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I would have said, you know, again, some of these, I would have said. Um, 
definitely going to see a protest and and we haven't so uh, again it's just, it's it, that's that's the most interesting part of the statistics in this year's story now watch this next year you know we're back you know we have a massive increase if we're back up but, so, right so, so that thing I, I note here is about one about 20 percent of the protests were uh, on task orders about 401 i guess it says were attributable to um task order protests out of the you know 2000 or so mm-hmm. um you know is that you know kind of where you see you know was that expected unexpected from that number or uh, i mean that seems about right so that's roughly what a fifth yep so you know out of and that's out of cases uh that's out of the cases closed so you know so out of the cases that were you know resolved closed out in 2021 about a fifth involved idiqs you know and, and as this as this audience may know uh probably does know you know there there are a lot of lim- there's there's a bunch of limitations around you know protesting idi you know task orders test and delivery orders under idiq contracts so about a fifth that sounds about right because you have to be over a certain dollar amount you know and, the, and of course you know this doesn't you know, and the, the one the one exception to that rule about protestability, you know, the GSA. If you have a GSA schedule order, of course, those those are protestable no matter what. They don't fall within the various restrictions uh, that apply to other IDIQ vehicles. But that sounds about right to me. Again, mm-hmm. I, I I haven't gone back to look at spend uh, of you know how much money is going through IDIQ vehicles versus otherwise. But you know, twenty percent, given the hurdles that you have. Uh, to get over to protest IDIQs uh, outside of the schedules context. That that sounds about right to me. Right. So, and then, um, you know, what else did you want to note with regard to the report? Well, I mean, these are kind of perennials. I mean, there, there, there's a, the, the number of ADRs uh, that happened this last year, fiscal year 2021, that was down uh, a fair amount. There'd been 124 ADRs in the prior year. There were only 76 uh, in uh, 2021, of course, that's largely attributable to the overall reduction uh, in the total number of protests. Uh, and then, the other, again, this is also just a perennial for folks who have been tuning in to the bid protest report year to year. The number of hearings remains extremely slow, extremely small. Only 1% of uh, cases went to a hearing. And that last year, that meant there were only 13 cases. Uh, out of the you know eight hundred ninety seven, there were only thirteen cases uh, that had a hearing, and actually, actually, that was up from from last year, from fiscal year twenty twenty, when there were only nine cases that had a hearing. So th- this is a tr- this is something we've seen for a long, 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 long time. It is a very rare bid protest uh, where you have a hearing, which of course means that um, for the most part, ninety nine percent of the time. Bid protests are being resolved completely on the basis of paper, uh, right. without you know GAO seeing anybody. Hey, hey, Jason, we have to take a break. Uh, when we come back, I got a couple more questions about that report, and then sure. we can turn to some of the interesting cases or re- and recent cases that folks need to think about. My guest today is Jason Workmaster from Miller Chevalier. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walder, and my guest today is Jason Workmaster from Miller Chevalier. We're talking about bid protests right now. And, um, uh, Jason, just, um, you know, since I'm not on the pulse 
of the bid protest litigation. Tell me how how is GAO conducting the hearing? You mentioned at the end there were only thirteen hearings last year, um, and that was up from the year before, I guess. Which <laughs> right, right, right. It, it seemed back in the day there were all kinds of hearings. It seemed like a lot more. I don't know yeah. how you felt, but yeah. um, but uh, how, how, how in the pandemic how how was GAO conducting? These hearings. No, I, well, actually, I, so, you know, out of 13, I had some bid protests last year that none of them went to a hearing. So, I, you know, there's, but my, 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 I'm quite confident that at the height of the pandemic, this might have, this might have recently changed, but, you know, all the federal tribunals were doing, uh, were doing uh, hearings uh, uh, by Zoom or, uh, you know, otherwise. And that only recently has begun to change. Uh, you know, and with GAO's uh, location there, right in the middle of the district, uh, I'm sure, you know, GAO, uh, it will be one of the, you know, and, and I'll be interested to see actually, Roger, I, I think this is going to, this is not just GAO, but otherwise, um, I'll be interested to see if GAO, because, you know, given GAO's strong disinclination to have hearings these days in general, I'll be curious to see if they go to a, uh, just to kind of keep to a electronic uh, format uh, more generally going forward, especially, I mean, you have protesters that are all over the country. I mean, you know, remember right, G- right. You know, GAO has nationwide jurisdiction. So you could have a protester, you know, their counsel, all the people that they might call as witnesses, you know, they could be in Alaska and it would just, it's, you know, to have folks, you know, come all the way out to, to DC for a, uh, for a hearing in person, uh, again, given their general disinclination to do hearings in the first place, I could see GAO being just kind of very receptive to staying in a virtual hearing format, um, uh, you know, going forward. And I, I, again, I could see that for some of the other boards of contract appeals. I could see a similar, similar um, approach. I would save money for folks in part, right? Yeah, saves so, money for yeah. the saves money for the contractor, saves money for the government. Uh, when the right. folks aren't local, uh, so I could I could see that uh, I could see that being a continuing continuing trend. Also, since it's not really supposed to, I mean, it's not analogous to a full blown exactly trial. So exactly. it's more of a, an administrative sort of you know not arbitration, but like you know, yeah, a, I mean it. Right. Yeah, it's it's uh you know it's it's even you know the boards of contract appeals are more you know, kind of trial tribunal-like than GAO. I mean, that the bid protest process is an administrative process, as you say, Roger, and it's just not all of those, you know, bells and whistles that go along with what we think of as a Perry Mason trial just don't, that's not the GAO, uh, that's not the GAO approach. Right. So one f- last question and we uh, about the report. So the report indicates that um, the you know, most uh, common reasons for sustaining protests were unreasonable technical evaluation, flawed discussions, yeah. unreasonable cost or price evaluation, and or unequal treatment. Um, yeah, I guess, um, you know, from your perspective, I guess that's probably not surprising because that's what everybody protests, right? Those four things. <laughs> but can you just talk about, like, is there one in particular or you know, or that, um, you know, just is, lends itself to, you know, stronger arguments on the part of a protester or not, or I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the strongest arguments are the ones that are clean, crisp legal arguments. Those are, the, those are the best arguments where there was some breakdown in the process. You know, when it's going in and just saying, you know, hey, you know, we, you know, we think the, the agency, uh, you know, gave us, they only gave us two strengths and they, we think they should have given us three or four or, oh, they gave us this weakness and, you know, that we think that we, once you're kind of into that realm of just arguing over what are kind of value judgments on technical proposals, um, that's when GAO, it always surprised, I have to believe, Roger, because it's that this unreasonable technical evaluation has been number one now for some, some period of time. I have to believe that is simply a function of that that's what the vast majority of protests involved. Because if right. you're just, you know, that, that, as you were saying, because, because if you just come to it cold, uh, I would say, you know, and I'd be curious to see, because they don't give us, uh, the percentages broken down here, right? So, right. Well, those must be cases, right, where it's really you just didn't follow the evaluation criteria, it's got right? It. It's got and it. because to your point, when you start arguing about two weaknesses versus three, you know, um, you're really getting into the judgment of the agency, and the agency yes. has discretion, right? In the a evaluation. lot of discretion. A GAO, lot of discretion. Yep. No. A lot of discretion, and and you know, or, or you know, because we, we, you know, and I've been involved in these protests. Well. You know, he had two strengths and I had one, but my one was really better than his. I mean, all of that stuff is just you, you start making those arguments and the, the, the GAO uh, attorneys just immediately turn you off. So flawed discussions, though, you know, flawed discussions. I've always, I've, you know, if, if you're if when you're a protest attorney looking at a record for the first time, trying to develop uh, arguments, the first thing I always try to look for are those discussions arguments. Is there an argument that, hey, you, you knocked us in the final evaluation with this weakness that you never told us about, even though it was around uh, forever and you had you know, five rounds of discussions or whatever the facts are? Because those are good. I mean, because those kind of, again, those are kind of the process questions that are just a lot easier for the GAO attorneys to kind of latch onto. And that, that's a prejudice element to that too. That I think it's a little different. I mean, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, they didn't tell us about it. We could have fixed it. I mean, right? Kind of it's thing. A, yes. And there's great case law on at GAO. There's very good case law on, you know, how, you know, the prejudice, you know, because, you know, the case law is, is clear. Whatever kind of protest you're talking about, whatever the ground is, you have to demonstrate prejudice. But the, 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 the case law on demonstrating prejudice in the, in the context of a lack of meaningful discussions, it's, it's an easier thing to do than with some of the other grounds. Okay. Uh, anything else on those evaluations? Uh, I mean, or just on those bid protest grounds? No, I no. I mean, again, I just just those process ones are, in my opinion, those are always the key ones to look for. Um. So the other, the, you know, another th- aspect of bid protest, and I think we have time to talk about this case before we break. But um, you know, timeliness, right? Of <laughs> course, is the first thing the government looks at to see if they can knock you out. Um, yeah that you haven't protested in a timely manner. And I guess there's this case, Science and Technology Corporation. Oh, yes. uh, From January, decision January 3rd, 2022, um, which, you know, I guess makes uh, um, that even pre-proposal communications can start the clock for protests. Can you talk about it? Sure. And that's a big deal. To me. Oh, it's no, it's it, it's it's a huge deal. So this, you know, as 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 folks uh, may know, you know, before 
you know, before you submit your proposal, there is a chance uh, you, you do have the ability to protest the terms of a solicitation uh, prior to the, nor the normal deadline. If you're going straight to GAO, uh, would be uh, uh, you have a right to protest before the deadline for the receipt of proposals. However, you know, you also have the ability, you can, you can decide, well, I'm not going to go to GAO right away. I'm going to protest to the agency. So you can file a protest with the agency. The agency takes what's called initial adverse action. Once that happens, you've got 10 days to get to GAO with your pre-award protest. So this case, science and technology, the protester sent what they called a letter of concern to the agency. And they were, they were asking, uh, they asserted that the, the key personnel requirement in the solicitation was too strict and it favored the, the uh, incumbent. Uh, and the letter also requested that the number of scientists that were going to be required for the work be decreased to two people. Well, the agency responded that there was a legitimate need for these, the, this, this requirement. Uh, and they did so uh, 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 in September of last year. Um, and so, you know, and, and what's important to note about the letter that the, con that, the, uh, that the offeror sent to the agency, again, was a letter of concern. They didn't call it a protest. They didn't ask for a decision on a protest. It was just a letter of concern. They get their letter back from the agency. They then wait more than 10 days to file their protest. Right. They, Presumably the they, agency said, nah, yeah, we don't share your concern, right? Right. The, yeah. The, the agency said, we don't share your concern. And then, but, but more than 10 days after they got that letter from the agency, but still before the deadline for the receipt of proposals, the protester filed a protest. GAO said, well, that letter of concern you sent, uh, protester, you may not have called it an agency-level protest, but that's what it was. That was an agency-level protest. And then when you got that letter back from the agency that said, we're not doing that, that was an initial indication that they weren't going to grant your protest. And so that uh, you had 10 days from that date. You didn't file at GAO within 10 days, and so you're out of luck. And that, you know, in this, in this scenario, because by that point, the deadline for proposals had entirely passed by the time this decision came out, they can't go to the court of federal claims because you know, if, if you, you know, if you in bid protest world, normally you have your choice, you can go to GAO or the court, but in pre, if it's a pre-award protest at both, at both tribunals, you at least have to get in by the deadline uh, for receipt of proposals. And since that passed at, at uh, the court, uh, this protester is, unless they, unless they filed a protest over the court as well, which I don't think they did, um, they have, you know, they're out of luck uh, with uh, being able to hear, have their protest right. heard. You know, and we're up on the break, Jason, but when we come back, I just want the one other, I mean, that to me, the ramifications of that decision or what people may now have to think about, I mean, in terms of how they communicate with the agency about a statement of work or anything, it's, um, I mean, okay. you know. Uh, at the end of the day, it just it could just get completely out of control. My guest today is Jason Workmaster from Miller Chevalier. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Jason Workmaster from Miller Chevalier. Um, and we're talking about um, bid protests in general and then this remarkable decision um, that 
GAO just recently issued with regard to timeliness, the Science and Technology Corporation case B420216. It was issued January 3rd, 2022. I recommend people go take a look at this case. I'm scratching my head about it. And Jason walks through the fact pattern. Essentially, Jason, let me know if I get this right. Somebody sent a letter of concern uh, well before the closing date for the solicitation. The government came back and responded to the letter say, yeah, we're not concerned. We're going to keep whatever it was the way we wanted to. Ten days passed, more than ten days passed, and then the closing date, you know, the protest filed like under traditional rule by the closing date for receipt of proposals. GAO comes back and says, well, you should have protested ten days after receipt of the initial letter. Um, To me, um, so I got it right, right? You did. Okay, so... To me, I mean, I find this decision, I scratch my head and whether I understand whether GAO understands the procurement process anymore. I just, I mean, I, I'm, I just, um, my mind is boggled here. Hey, so what are they going to do to communications, pre-proposal communications that go on all the time between government and industry, whether it's meetings with between government and industry and an industry day or individual meetings where people talk about the RFP and statement of work. And that's what does it mean for draft solicitations or RFIs where people request changes or make points about changing requirements or even the traditional Q&A before we see the proposal. And somebody submits the questions and, and the question says, this is wrong. You should need to change it because of this. Uh, and then they come back and answer the Q&A. But it's not the closing date. It seems to me this create, could create chaos it's, in the procurement process. I mean, I just don't understand where GEO is coming from. It's a and it's a it it's really I, I agree with all that, Roger. And it, it really creates a conundrum for contractors because even if you even if you because I've been trying to think of ways that you can mitigate this risk. And you know, one of the things you could you could try is you you put a little disclaimer. This isn't this. Not a protest. <laughs> this is not or... a protest. But even even that, it's not like that's necessarily. It's I could I could see, you know, someone saying, well, that's not necessarily dispositive. If if in substance it is, the mere fact that you put a you know disclaimer that says it isn't, that's not good enough. And the the other thing you could do is when you get that letter or that response from the agency, you could write back to the agency and you could say, okay, agency, I just got this from you. My my understanding of this is not this is not uh, you know initial adverse. Uh, initial 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 adverse determination response to a protest right you know and get comfort you know we're going to interpret it that way you let us know if you disagree you could try that uh and maybe a gao attorney would say okay well if they you know all right well then if they if the agency is agreeing it's not then we're going to, but again it's not like gao is necessarily bound by what the parties right. themselves have to say on any of that stuff so i mean there's ways you could try those are the only ways i can think of so far that you could mitigate that risk, but it doesn't necessarily completely eliminate it. So, I mean, the most conservative thing you could do, uh, and I think any uh, protest lawyer is going to be telling their clients this, you got to protest. protest. I mean, you, you, you've got to treat any adverse uh, action response to a request of, of any kind uh, as, as, a, as, a, as starting your 10-day clock. And if I'm the government, it's like, how do I communicate with people when now everything I say and do, I mean, there used to be a standard, here's a clock. I could manage to that. I could work to that. Now, all of a sudden, like, what do I do? Do I not say anything? Do I just, you know, you know, 
change the solicitation. You know what? I, I mean, it's just this is why you know people get frustrated with JAL because it seems to me this is all about process and them kicking a boot and a protest out as opposed to thinking about the long term impact on the procurement process. I mean, it's just uh, uh, you know this is why you know this is why people get frustrated with them. It does, and it it it's it it's it's one of those areas as well of you know uh, the the GAO. Um, it, it's it, it off, off. This is a broader thought on their timeliness rules, but you know, ha- having done this now for a long time, uh, and I get, I understand why the government cares so much and GAO cares so much about its deadlines. I get it, but you know, it's all in a context of where the government doesn't have to show how it's prejudiced in any way by, you know, so we're talking here, this protest by GAO's lights should have been filed by September 24th. It was filed on October 1st. Does that week make a difference? Right. Cause anybody? October 1st. Yeah. October 1st was a yeah, deadline. They were, they were a week late. Okay. They were a week late, but you know, in the absence of any kind of showing that that damages the government, that that week damages the government at all, this protester is completely out of luck in getting its its uh, protest heard on the merits. And that just doesn't, as a policy matter, uh, that just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And it also just, it, 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 it just turns up the heat uh, to, you know, the, the heat is, uh, and, and, and the way the system currently works, the heat on timeliness at GAO is all on the contractor. The, 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 right. the, the agency has, the agency, the timeliness doesn't matter to the agency. You know, they're, they're, they're happy with this system, but it, it, right. and it, it creates this huge imbalance. Right. Well, and I, I mean, just as a, I mean, I've worked on procurements, both sides of the, you know, and it just what this, the potential for, you know, havoc in the system, just from this decision, um, potentially it just, it leaves you scratch. I mean, these are supposed to be the people adjudicating procurement issues. That just makes no sense to me. So anyway, I know I'm being hard, but I can afford to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I, and I understand there's another case that's, uh, of, uh, that, that you pointed out to me, that's really interesting about standing and that's the, the court of federal claims issued a decision and the, uh, CACI, uh, bid protest. Yeah that addresses uh, standing, which is I'm an interested party to actually protest. Right. Uh, right. Can you talk about that a bit? Sure. And we're seeing, you know, they're seeing the standing issue. I mean, with it, this, this is a court of federal claims case, but we're seeing the standing issue more at uh, uh, JO as well. And as you said, Roger, you know, so standing is, you know, in order to bring a bid protest, either at GAO or at the court of federal claims, you have to be, as, as you just said, you have to be an interested party. You have to show that you were a, you know, a bidder in the procurement, and that the thing that you're complaining about, your protest ground, would have made a difference. So it's kind of like prejudice. It's very similar to the prejudice inquiry. All right. But it's, it's, it's treated as this kind of threshold determination. And so CACI goes to the Court of Federal. They had been eliminated from a they, they had lost a competition because they were found to be technically unacceptable. So they go to court and they say, uh, hey, this finding of technical unacceptability was wrong. All right. So they go to court. That's the protest they file. In response to the protest, the agency, for the first time ever, says, you know what? Forget. You know, yes, you got. Yes, you're out because of these. These you were technically unacceptable. But in addition to that, you had an you have an unmitigatable organizational conflict of interest. 
And they assert that the contracting officer asserts that in a declaration that was filed in the court after the protest started. The agency never asserted during the procurement that CACI had this any kind of, of right. Or they didn't even investigate like the contracting yeah. officer's responsibility to do so. Yeah, there was no, there was, there was, and, and CACI had disclosed this alleged, you know, this. Uh, the, the, uh, so CACI had, dis- had disclosed they had worked in some way on the the requirement that was at issue in this procurement. They had disclosed that in their proposal, so the agency was fully aware of it. You know, back when when it was evaluating, but didn't you know didn't address it, didn't you know certainly did not allege that that this prior involvement in this requirement had given rise to what's called a, a ground you know bias ground rules organizational conflict of interest. But after after the protest was filed, they assert that, and they say, well, and because you have this unmitigatable conflict of interest, you don't have standing because it doesn't matter if you were technically acceptable or not because you're never going to get this contract anyway. And according to the court, CACI, in response to that allegation, responded, and again, this is according to the court. So, you know, I haven't seen these briefs. These briefs are all filed under seal. I have not seen, I've not seen the briefs. But the, the court says, well, CACI, you didn't address before the court whether you actually, whether this our, our, our assertion had any merit or not. You just uh, argued, well, this was too late. They should have raised this earlier. You raised all this procedural stuff. And since I don't have a response from you, CACI, on the merits of this assertion, I want to take it as a given. They, you have uh, a uh, unmitigatable conflict of interest, and you're out of here and dis- and dismissed uh, the protest uh, for lack of standing. I mean, the the court did also go on to address the uh, the merits. The, he, he the court did both, but the really troubling part of the decision to me is this is this this decision on standing because you know here you got a protester who is you know totally blindsided by this new assertion of organizational conflict of interest then has to you know respond to it on the fly in the heat of litigation that makes absolutely no sense to me yeah you know that's like this is like timeliness right the government didn't raise it raise it in a timely manner (laughs) apparently didn't think it was an issue during the procurement now all of a sudden they get into litigation oh oh gee here this you know it makes it makes no sense again it's just just again to your point the yeah, government totally, doesn't have a responsibility to address no, this. No, it totally it totally comes out of left field. And if you're the if right. you're the, I, I have a lot of sympathy for the contractor in that situation, right. because it's right. it's it's you're you're just you know, especially with organizational conflicts of interest for you know the audience. I mean, if you've ever dealt with those issues, those are very complex. You yeah. know, whether you know on the bias ground rule stuff, whether something you've done, you know, uh, in the past could potentially give you an unfair leg up. Yeah. In this particular that gets very that gets very tricky. Other impaired or objectivity conflicts very tricky. Access to you know all all of this stuff requires a lot of fact development and to put the contractor you know kind of on the hot seat in the middle of litigation. You know, and there's all those cases. Yeah, you know, I mean you know them, you know, Roger. You know, I mean at, at back at uh, GAO and court has this, you know the Boeing Sikorsky line. You know arguments raised in the heat of litigation. You know, are not entitled to as much weight as right. stuff that was raised. apparently not. Apparently, apparently, they apparently are. that's not. out the window. Apparently, there's no timeliness rules for the government, and they yeah. But anyway, so we have to take a break. Uh, we're up on the time, uh, Jason. When we come back, we'll take a little bit of look of um, expected regulatory activity in 
2022, what contractors can expect. My guest today is Jason Workmaster from Miller Chevalier. I'm Roger Waldron. You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Jason Workmaster from Miller Chevalier. And, you know, uh, well, Jason, we just sent through two two really head-scratching bid protest decisions and looked at the report from last year. Let's look forward a little bit to, uh, you know, re- regulatory activity and like you to look in your crystal ball. And what, what do you think you, we're going to be seeing um, this this fiscal and calendar year? Yeah. So, you know, so the FAR, it's been, you know, it's interesting. Now, last year was pretty quiet on the regulatory front, but both the FAR Council and DOD have indicated 2022 is going to be a pretty busy year. Uh, so I'm just going to tick off. Uh, so what contractors should be on the lookout for, uh, let's start with final rules, you know, so final rules, you know, kind of reach the end of the, the rulemaking process and what we can expect to see, you know, really, you know, take, come into effect here, uh, this year, amendments to the FAR by America, uh, requirements, you know, that, that, that rulemaking started last year. The, the highlight there is that the, uh, domestic content threshold for the by America standard is, um, is going immediately going to go up. Uh, to 60%, and it's going to set a schedule for future increases up to 75% by 2029. So, you know, be on the lookout for that final rule that's expected this year. The FAR Council is uh, finally expected as well to issue the uh, final rules implementing both pieces of Section 889. So if you're a government contractor who's, you know, uh, been tracking that issue, has gotten a lot of press over the last couple of years, these are the various prohibitions on selling to uh, or even using uh, certain uh, Chinese telecommunications equipment. So uh, the like final Huawei. rules. Yeah, yeah Huawei. Well, everyone refers to the Huawei rule. Yeah, everyone yep. calls it the Huawei rule. So the final rules, the interim rules on that came out. All, you know, now we're uh, the one on Part B. The second part came out in 2020. Uh, so, I mean, or, I think that's right. Uh, we've been waiting a while for, for these final rules to come out, but we expect those this year. Uh, proposed rules, you know, keep keep tracking what's going on with the vaccine mandate. Uh, there is a, <laughs> <laughs> but that's largely going to, I think, be decided uh, in the courts at this point. Uh, we, we could expect to hear from the Supreme Court, I think, at some point on that issue. Uh, but that's technically, you know, the proposed rule stage um, uh, this year. Uh, controlled unclassified information. We accept, expect a notice of proposed rulemaking on that subject uh, this month. Uh, that's been an issue that's just continued to be devil contractors in the government over exactly what controlled unclassified information is and what you have to do with it. Uh, cyber threat and incident reporting. We're expecting to notice a proposed rulemaking on that subject. Lots of stuff on cybersecurity, uh, standardizing the cybersecurity requirements for unclassified information systems. We expect a notice of proposed rulemaking on that subject this month. Uh, re-representation of size and socioeconomic status. That's expected in April. Uh, we're expecting uh, a notice of proposed rulemaking on the small business innovation research and technology transfer programs by May. So, I mean, again, there's just a lot expected this year. Climate change, we're expecting, you know, notice of proposed rulemaking is expected on that in May. Uh, uh, you know, so you know, CMMC, I mean, if you've been tracking that, that's a, you know, that kind of got a hit, the, the reset button got hit on that not too terribly long ago, but there's a, a, a framework and interim rules expected on that by the end of this year. So, you know, there's just a lot, lot going on. Again, very different from what we've seen over the last, you know, last several years really has been, I think, fairly quiet. 
uh, now we've really seen, I think this, I do think this is one area where you and I often talk about how much a change in administration, uh, how much of a difference it makes. This is an area where I do think it's made a big difference. Cause I mean, you just, this is a level of regulatory activity. Uh, uh, I don't think we would have seen from a Trump administration. Right. So, yeah, so it's going to be, it is going to be a busy year, Jason. And um, that's, you know, I can see a lot of comments on proposed rules and, and lots of uh, training and uh, information on what the final rules look like to the extent there's, you know, minor modifications to them moving forward based on experience and what, what we've seen to date. So that it, it should be a lot to track and a lot to keep track of. So uh, thank you, Jason. And I want to, I want to thank Jason Workmaster from Miller Chevalier for joining me today on Off the Shelf. I'm Roger Waldron. And thank you for listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 